The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. The president is frantic and the people are restless. This is Thursday, November 30th, 2017. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through my links for Target.com, my other sponsors, and through my PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. Between the time I began recording this report and its publication, the news kept coming. During production, we heard a new allegation against Al Franken. Michigan Congressman John Conyers was hospitalized. Producer Russell Simmons stepped down from his company after sex abuse allegations. And the New York Times reported that Trump has lost faith in Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and plans to replace him with CIA Director Mike Pompeo. Now the news to that point. If the trump Republican tax plan is so good for the middle class, why do its most enthusiastic supporters hail from big business? And then there's what the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office had to say this week about the Republican attempt at making big changes in our tax laws. It hurts the poor, and even more than it appeared at first. Sure, there would be tax cuts for people making a hundred grand a year or more. Sixty percent of taxpayers would get an extra hundred bucks. But the plan would put the country more deeply in debt, adding nearly $1.5 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years. Raising the debt was a Republican no-no until Trump, but Republicans aren't worried because they hope to make up the losses by slashing entitlement programs, including Social Security. For now, they're saying the tax plan will pay for itself. The CBO says that by 2027, people earning less than seventy-five grand a year would be worse off than they are now. Millionaires, even six-figure income Americans, would be better off. And cruelly, the Republican plan would make life harder over the next decade for people earning $30,000 a year. It would wipe out people making 10. The poor would be hit hard because Republicans want to cut back on the government help those folks are getting for health care. Republicans say health care isn't a right, it's a choice. The poor can, they say, choose to do without it and not be hurt by the tax bill at all. The CBO says the Republican tax plan would throw 13 million people off health insurance, including drastic cuts in Medicare, over the next 10 years. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine says she can't support that. Businesses, meanwhile, would get lower taxes. Big business would. And those tax cuts, unlike those individual tax cuts, would be permanent. The individual cuts are temporary. Smaller businesses would feel a pinch, which is why at least two Republicans say they'll vote no. Now, Republicans only have a two-vote majority in the Senate. In the event of a tie, Vice President Mike Pence would cast the deciding vote in favor of the tax plan. So Republicans can only afford to lose two votes. If they lose three or more, this tax plan fails. A handful of senators are either on the fence or even critical of the tax plan. Most of the holdouts are from states that would be hurt by the Republican plan to kill family deductions for the state and local taxes they pay. Republican leaders are busy tweaking the plan to try to win over some of those holdouts, but there's also romancing and arm-twisting underway. The Republican Congress, like its president, is staring at the end of the year with the possibility of no accomplishments at all. After the failure of the Obamacare repeal, the pressure's on to get at least one in the win column by New Year's Eve. Quoting Lindsey Graham, failure is not an option when it comes to the Republican Party cutting taxes. 
The Senate hopes to pass its version of the tax bill this week, today or tomorrow, perhaps, and the odds for that improved on Tuesday as the tax plan made it through the budget committee after a couple of holdouts switched sides. Wall Street liked the odds so much, the Dow closed up by another 250 points that evening, and Republicans grew more confident about their chances. Even Susan Collins was now ready to vote yes with a few adjustments in the plan. If the bill passes in the full Senate, it would still have to be reconciled with the House version, which does not cut health care for the poor. So that reconciliation may also be challenging, but a legislative victory seems finally within reach for Republicans. And after the Obamacare debacle, the red team needs a win. But protests are growing around the country against the tax plan, with hundreds turning out at Republican congressional offices to make their voices heard. Despite the damage done to Obamacare in this past year of Republican leadership, and maybe because of the attempts to repeal it, more people are signing up than ever before. 47% more health insurance policies were sold on the government marketplace last month as were sold in November of last year. Nearly a million people signed on to Obamacare policies in just the second week of this year's enrollment. A third of them are new customers. Let Obamacare fail, said Trump over the summer. It still hasn't. The natives are restless, and they want to know if anyone in Washington hears them. On social media, a growing number of Americans are calling for the impeachment and or removal of Donald Trump. And yes, a growing number of the lawmakers who represent those Americans are right there with them. Al Green of Texas, Brad Sherman, and Maxine Waters of California, Steve Cohen of Tennessee, Luis Gutierrez of Illinois, Adriano Espayat of New York, Marsha Fudge of Ohio, John Yarmouth of Kentucky, and Pramila J. Apple of Washington State are all Democratic members of Congress who think it's time to start the hearings. And there are two Republicans who've expressed a willingness to consider impeachment based on Trump's apparent obstruction of justice through the pressuring of the FBI and the firing of its director, James Comey. Like many Americans, all these lawmakers think there is enough evidence to open impeachment hearings. And now one of them, Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee, has introduced five articles of impeachment, including obstruction of justice, undermining the courts, and violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution. No one, including Cohen, expects anything to come of this, for the same reason the Democratic leadership in Congress hasn't joined the impeach Trump chorus. Leading Democratic lawmakers believe that if they try impeachment too soon, they might fail, which could hurt Democrats in next year's midterm election, especially since Dems appear to be positioned to take control of both houses of Congress, which would make impeachment much easier. Publicly, for now, Democratic congressional leaders say we need more facts and more significant facts before opening those impeachment hearings. And for the next 11 months, Democrats just don't have the votes. Because Republican lawmakers, in spite of the facts we do have, are sticking with Trump. For now. But at what cost? On Tuesday, Trump tweeted, Meeting with Chuck and Nancy today about keeping government open and working. Problem is, they want illegal immigrants flooding into our country unchecked and weak on crime and want to substantially raise taxes. I don't see a deal. In other words, Trump would meet with the two Democratic congressional leaders but had already decided there was no path to compromise. So Chuck and Nancy announced they would not be going to the meeting since the president had already declared it pointless. They say they'd rather go around this White House and negotiate directly with Mitch and Paul 
Senate Leader Mitch McConnell and House Speaker Paul Ryan. Later in the day, Trump met with McConnell, Ryan, and other key Republicans as the two parties draw their battle lines as the December 8th deadline approaches for keeping the government open with a new spending bill. For a photo stunt, Trump posed in that meeting between two empty chairs to convey the message that Democrats had been invited but didn't show. They all have eight days to avoid a government shutdown or to pass a short-term bill to keep things running for a couple more weeks. Earlier this year, Trump said, quote, Our country needs a good shutdown. With the Mueller investigation closing in, Trump's Twitter feed seems increasingly desperate. On the day after Thanksgiving, he took to Twitter to begin venting about a number of things. Up first, apparently at the top of his agenda, slamming the NFL for the players kneeling to protest the police killing of blacks. He wants the players punished. Trump has long been focused on Time Magazine's Person of the Year. He knows we're approaching December 6th when that decision is announced. Trump used to keep a large framed replica of a Time Magazine cover featuring him near the entrance of Mar-a-Lago. That's how much it means to him. It wasn't something that had happened. It was something he wished had happened. The magazine ultimately forced him to take down the forgery. When he was named Person of the Year last year, in Time's words, for better or worse, Trump tweeted it was a great honor. But this year, Trump is in a three-way tie for second place. In case he's not selected this year, Trump tweeted, Time Magazine called to say I was probably going to be named Person of the Year, like last year, but I would have to agree to an interview and a major photo shoot. I said, probably is no good, and took a pass. By Saturday, Trump was back to slamming the free press, especially his favorite target, CNN. Since then, he's attacked what he incorrectly calls fake news at least three times. Monday, he tweeted there should be a fake news contest between ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN to see who's, quote, dishonest, corrupt, and or distorted in its coverage of your favorite president, me, end quote. Not including Fox, tweeted Trump. Otherwise, they're all bad, tweeted Trump. Trump also slammed the Russia investigations as, quote, the phony Democratic excuse for losing the election, Russia, Russia, Russia. Yesterday morning, Trump retweeted three anti-Muslim videos from an extreme right group in Britain, inflaming the right-wing Americans who are among Trump's 44 million Twitter followers. The videos supposedly show violence by alleged Muslims against people and against the statue of the Virgin Mary. All the videos are unsubstantiated, including one that's an Al-Qaeda propaganda video, and at least one that is not at all what it is purported to be. White House spokeswoman Sarah Sanders says it doesn't matter if the videos are real. The threat, she says, is real, emphasizing Trump's desire to tighten security in the U.S. But it also stoked hatred for Muslims and fear of them here in the U.S. and around the world. Britain's conservative prime minister called the retweets by Trump wrong. With the Mueller investigation closing in, Trump's Twitter feed seems increasingly desperate and surprisingly unhinged, even for him. Section 4 of the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says, Congress can remove a president from office if it's believed by the vice president and a majority of the cabinet secretaries that the president is unfit to carry out his duties. And although that's not at all likely at this point, there's certainly a case for it at this point. Consider that the president has called his low approval ratings fake, despite the number of polls, including polls by Trump's beloved Fox News. 
Trump has, after all, made over 1,600 false or misleading statements since taking the oath of office. But now he's even called the Access Hollywood tape fake, the tape we've all heard, the one he apologized for. And now he's telling his friends he thinks the Russia investigation will be over soon by the end of the year and that he will be exonerated by the end of the year. Friends who have talked to him recently described Trump to the Washington Post as unusually upbeat, expecting to be out from under the Russia scandal in the coming new year. The Post also reports that's what Trump does when things are not going his way at all, according to sources who would know. This president has clearly lost touch with reality to a point certainly worthy of the 25th Amendment. The Russia investigation is far from over and Trump is far from exonerated. One outside the White House advisor to Trump told the Washington Post that Trump would, quote, blow a gasket if Mueller didn't clear him by the end of the year, which is now just four weeks away. In the meantime, Trump continues with insults, racial slurs, and the retweeting of anti-Muslim videos from a far-right extremist group. And all of this in the face of the latest military threat from North Korea. This week, North Korea launched another test missile, but this one was capable of traveling more than 8,000 miles, a long enough range to reach any spot in the U.S., including Washington, D.C. It is not yet known if the missile could have carried a nuclear warhead that far or if the missile solid enough to survive reentry to the atmosphere, but it can travel 8,000 miles, and the Pentagon considers that threat enough. It was the first missile test since mid-September. There was hope. During the quiet, the talks could begin. That hope is now dashed. Trump says the U.S. will respond with tough new sanctions. Hawaii this week launched a new civil defense warning siren system that will be tested tomorrow. In the event of an actual attack, citizens have 10 to 12 minutes to take shelter. United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley says that if North Korea begins a war, that the North Korean regime will be totally obliterated. For many, it was something to be thankful for on Thanksgiving afternoon. It was more evidence that former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn may be cooperating with the Mueller investigation. Flynn's lawyers had cut off communications with all the other defense lawyers with clients connected to the Russia probe, including those inside the Trump White House. This radio silence doesn't guarantee Flynn's become a witness for the prosecutors, although experts say with the trouble Flynn's in, it would be unwise for him not to be a witness. It could mean a number of things, including that Flynn is merely negotiating a possible plea deal with Mueller and that no deal has yet been struck. But Flynn may be facing serious charges, including lying to the government in testimony and on paper, and yet no charges have been filed against him yet. Investigators have even gone after Flynn's son, turning up the pressure on Flynn to talk. Finding evidence that Flynn broke the law and putting the squeeze on him for those violations and the alleged violations of his son are a time-honored technique for prosecutors, and it appears to have worked again, as usual. Flynn's lawyers met Monday with Mueller's investigators. Cooperating with the Mueller probe, exposing someone a bit higher in the Trump food chain, may be the only way Flynn can get himself and his son out of the big trouble they appear to be in. That someone higher up is expected to be, perhaps, Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's also a top advisor to the president. Kushner is, in fact, the guy that Trump put in charge of nearly everything after the election. These days, with all the scrutiny, 
Kushner's profile publicly and in the White House is shrinking as he and Ivanka are said to be ready to move back to New York to run the family empire from Trump Tower at 666 Fifth Avenue. Life there won't be much easier since that building is buried in well over a billion dollars in debt. But these days, Kushner is no longer able to speak directly with Trump, not without going through Chief of Staff John Kelly first. Kelly says Jared now reports directly to him. Kushner is also under harsh scrutiny over what's described as a Russian backdoor overture. Kushner apparently left at least one document out of the pile he turned over to congressional investigators, the one about a, quote, Russian backdoor overture and dinner invite. Lawmakers got hold of a copy of that one from someone other than Kushner, which is how they were able to quote it. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley and ranking Democrat Dianne Feinstein are not happy to have learned, through someone else no less, that Kushner had not turned over all the relevant documents. Last night, we learned that Jared Kushner was interviewed earlier this month by Mueller's investigators. CNN, AP, and the New York Times report that Kushner was asked if he had any information that could exonerate Mike Flynn. Mueller could be targeting others besides Kushner, including Donald Trump Jr., who's met with Russian operatives on multiple occasions. Reports say Mueller will interview White House lawyer Don McGahn as part of his investigation into the decision to fire FBI Director James Comey. And combined with other actions and statements, Trump may have committed obstruction of justice, which were grounds for impeachment for both Clinton and Nixon. But Mueller will also likely ask the White House lawyer about the time he heard and carried to Trump the State Department's determination that then-National Security Advisor Flynn had been compromised by Russia. Mueller will also want to know how the president responded to that news and why it took nearly three weeks after that for Flynn to be fired. Over the Thanksgiving break, we also learned that special counsel Mueller has subpoenaed the Trump campaign for any and all documents related to Russia, including emails. Trump campaign officials were surprised to be hit with subpoenas since they claimed to have been cooperating with the investigators. The subpoenas might indicate that Mueller hasn't been satisfied with the level of that cooperation. And Mueller has also slapped subpoenas on the very Justice Department that employs him, demanding any and all documents related to the firing of Jim Comey. Mueller's also ordered Justice to turn over any and all documents related to Attorney General Jeff Sessions' decision to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Former actress and model Hope Hicks is the White House communications director and has been at Trump's side since long before he announced he was running for president. If anyone knows whether Trump knew at the time his son was meeting with a gaggle of Russians in Trump Tower, it would be Hope Hicks. She was on Air Force One with Trump while his statement about that meeting was crafted on behalf of Don Jr., who took the meeting eager to hear dirt on Hillary Clinton. Over the Thanksgiving break, Hope Hicks was interviewed by special counsel Robert Mueller. We also learned over the break that the president has started paying his own legal bills. He had been drawing the money from his re-election campaign and from the Republican National Committee to pay the lawyers specifically representing him in the Russia investigation. Those lawyers say they're also working to set up a fund to pay the legal bills of past and present members of Trump's staff but that idea has a number of legal obstacles it may or may not be able to clear. There's some question as to whether Trump should be paying the legal bills of those who might have to testify against him, 
And there are rules about White House staff getting free legal representation or gifts of any kind. The rule says no. The Republican National Committee confirms it has stopped paying Trump's lawyers, but hasn't said whether it's still paying bills for Don Jr., who's gotten over 300000 from the RNC just this year. We do know Jr. is no longer getting lawyer money from his dad's re-election campaign. Unlike a campaign fund, there's no limit on how much money one can donate to a legal defense fund, and that may come in handy, judging from the way the legal bills have already piled up. The campaign staffers possibly getting financial help from Trump do not include Mike Flynn. The White House says the president will not be paying Flynn's bills. The Mueller investigation is moving right along. And although it will clearly extend into 2018, as will the congressional investigations, the Mueller probe appears to be closing in on something. The Mueller grand jury keeps indicting people. What if those significant facts come before the midterm elections? The natives are restless. And how endangered is U.S. national security in the meantime? Members of the House Foreign Relations Committee are concerned about, quote, what appears to be the intentional hollowing out of our senior diplomatic ranks. They're talking about the Trump administration's gutting of the State Department under Rex Tillerson. Tillerson has now even let go our head of diplomatic security. That's the person in charge of the safety of U.S. embassy personnel overseas, the very issue that led Republicans to repeatedly investigate what happened at Benghazi. The Democrats on the Foreign Relations Committee have fired off a letter to Tillerson asking for an explanation of, quoting again, the exodus of more than 100 senior Foreign Service officers from the State Department since January. Tillerson said he wants his legacy at state to be making it more efficient with a more corporate structure, a legacy he says that if he succeeds will last forever. Under Tillerson, there's a hiring freeze and a $25,000 buyout being offered. He hopes to dump 2,000 State Department workers by this time next year. The number of top U.S. diplomats has already been cut by half. Diplomats have been fired or forced to quit, by being given assignments they couldn't or wouldn't take. And as if diversity hadn't already been a problem at state, it's gotten worse with most of the top diplomats fired being black, Hispanic, or female. Morale is reportedly low in that department, which baffles Tillerson. I walk the halls, people smile, he says. If it's as bad as it's described, I'm not seeing it, I'm not getting it. And now Tillerson's even lost the person he hired to help him restructure the State Department. After just three months on the job, three months of facing resistance from lawmakers and dedicated diplomats, Malise Beams has resigned, saying she's going back home to Boston. Tillerson sees the State Department he runs as bloated. Trump doesn't think the department's even necessary, saying, I'm the one that matters. That Trump quality appears to concern his current national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, at least five sources say McMaster mocked his boss at a private dinner with a CEO from Silicon Valley back in July. McMaster was reportedly overheard telling the head of Oracle that Trump is an idiot, a dope, and that Trump has the intelligence of a kindergartner. Yet another source says McMaster put a finer point on those descriptions on another occasion when he said the president lacks the brain power to understand the matters before the National Security Council. McMaster allegedly made these comments back in July the same month Secretary of State Rex Tillerson had reportedly called Trump a moron. Slashing your access to the Internet and to the news. 
Sex Scandals Galore, and Bob Seska after this. This free news podcast gets a little commission when you get and use a Target red card through the links at buzzburbank.com and you get an extra 5% savings in-store and online at Target.com. You'll get fast, free delivery on most items or you can pick them up at the store. If you like, subscribe to the things you buy regularly and have them arrive on your schedule. With a Target red card, you get 60 days to return most items instead of just 30 you save an additional 5% on iTunes gift cards. In-store, you can stack your red card savings with coupons and other discounts and save 5% at the in-store Starbucks. Year-round, you'll get early access to new products and early access before a sale. Plus, a 10% coupon every year on your red card anniversary. It's time to start your holiday shopping. Do it at Target. There are a lot of reasons to get a Target red card through my link, including... It helps pay the bills to distribute this podcast. Thank you for clicking and bookmarking the target links at buzzburbank.com and for supporting this program through all my sponsors and through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. We have known since February that the Trump FCC planned to dump the net neutrality rules that guarantee everyone has equal access to everything on the Internet. Heading into the Thanksgiving break, with many Americans' attention focused on holiday plans, the Trump FCC announced it would scrap net neutrality. Without it, without net neutrality, Internet providers will be allowed to actually slow or block your access to certain online content, including perhaps programs like these. The Internet's level playing field will be tilted toward webmasters who pay the most money, Websites from small businesses would get slower service than, say, would Amazon. Pinterest wouldn't be what it is today were it not for that level playing field assured by net neutrality. But even Amazon, Netflix, and Google are opposed to this change, saying it gives too much power to Internet providers, meaning AT&T and Verizon specifically. There are even free speech issues. Some opinions may not be heard or heard as loudly without equal access for all. But deregulating business is a top Republican goal, and it's one shared by Trump's FCC chairman, Ajit Pai. And speaking of unlevel playing fields, the Trump FCC is accused of putting its thumb on the scales when counting the public comments about net neutrality. Critics say there are thousands of fake or automated comments that support the politics of this FCC. The New York Attorney General, Eric Schneiderman, has been investigating the process the FCC used to count these votes. Schneiderman's office says there may be hundreds of thousands of comments that appear to be from people or computers impersonating New York State residents. There's also the matter of pro-net neutrality comments disappearing at the FCC. The New York Attorney General's office says the FCC's decision-making process has been corrupted. The FCC is set to take a final vote on scrapping net neutrality December 12th. Also this month, the Trump FCC rolled back the limits on the number of media outlets a single company can own in a single market. That means only a few companies would control all the newspaper, radio, and TV news in the town where you live when it was once dozens of smaller companies owning your local stations and papers. But this is good news for the extremely conservative Sinclair Broadcasting Group and to Fox, which like Sinclair is now jockeying to buy up a chain of TV stations across the country. 
While many conservatives rail about fake news, some conservatives have been attempting to generate fake news of their own. They've been feeding trusted news organizations false material, hoping reporters would take the bait so they could then be exposed for publishing the aforementioned fake news. Rachel Maddow's crew at MSNBC didn't take the bait when they were handed a forged NSA document early in the summer. The document purported to directly implicate a Trump campaign official in collusion with the Russian attack on our election process. This week, we learned a similar scam had been attempted on the Washington Post, which, along with the New York Times, has done the most digging and the most finding in the Trump-Russia story. The Post reports it was approached by a woman who says she was impregnated by Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore when she was a young teen and he was in his early 30s. She says she aborted the pregnancy when she was 15. Because Post reporters are among the best, they did some checking on the woman's story and found it to be false. They confronted the woman about this during a follow-up interview, and she walked out of the interview. The Post then followed her and saw her enter the New York offices of Project Veritas, a conservative group that targets the mainstream media with undercover stings. The Post now says its investigation shows Project Veritas has been doing this for months. Among those working at Veritas, a man who did jail time after trying to blackmail David Letterman. The group's director also has a criminal record. Pocahontas is a popular figure in American legend, a Native American woman who reportedly saved the life of British Captain John Smith, who was about to be executed by the Powhatan tribe in the 1600s. After a weekend of verbal attacks on African Americans from pro football and basketball, Trump used the name Pocahontas again as a weapon against Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Warren says she was raised by parents who told her she was part Native American, Cherokee and perhaps Delaware. Trump says she isn't and that she's used her fake heritage to promote her political career. That's not true. It's not on any of her college or job applications. So Trump tries to insult her by calling her Pocahontas. Warren sees it as a racial slur. Native American groups say it's insensitive at the very least. Trump said it a lot during the campaign, and he said it again this week in front of Native Americans being honored at the White House. With much more on this and his weekly commentary, here's Salon.com writer Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. For nine years running, President Obama has been excoriated by political analysts from all sides of the debate for accurately observing that red states tend to vote against their own economic best interests because Republicans have successfully exploited guns and religion as wedge issues. Based on how often this episode is mentioned, you think Obama visited the homes of Republican voters and ignited flaming bags of poop on their front doorsteps, shouting, hillbillies suck, as he dashes into the shrubs to watch the fun. It's easily the most cited gaffe by Obama, and therefore the worst he could muster during his time in the National Klieg Lights. President Trump says far worse several times a day, and the same observers who thought Obama should apologize are frantically applauding every Trump trespass against decency and presidentialness. On Monday, Trump met with Native American code talkers who were responsible for developing U.S. military secret encryption language during World War II, greatly aiding the war effort. And no, this didn't go well, obviously. The first problem with the Oval Office presentation was that it was held in front of a painting of Andrew Jackson, who happens to have been responsible for the wholesale genocide of the Cherokee. 
We could call this a tone-deaf maneuver by Trump if we could safely say he was actually aware of the Trail of Tears. But he's probably not. And if he is, he likely thinks it's something else. A trail of tires, a trail of bears, something else other than the mass execution and expulsion of a tribe at the hands of Trump's presidential hero. Perhaps the only thing that could be more offensive to the guests of honor than forcing them to pose in front of Jackson's portrait would be to mention Trump's Pocahontas nickname for Senator Elizabeth Warren. You know, something completely insensitive and offensive like that. Oh, wait. You were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you. Where to begin? In addition to obviously being racist, Trump seems to think the Marine veterans would be amused by his Pocahontas reference. They're indigenous. Pocahontas was indigenous. Slam dunk, right? In the real world and in the universe of normals, It's not a nickname of affection in any way, but one of derision and ridicule. He might as well have described tribal Americans as heathens or savages. It was just that horrendous. History has proved that Trump is never intentionally funny. All of the Trumps are like space aliens who visit Earth and struggle to learn how our humor works, but they never quite get it right. If you recall Trump's 2016 Al Smith dinner remarks, his lame attempts at comedy tend to be awkward, weird, and in this case, racist. Put another way, the Pocahontas joke is not unlike Trump telling a group of African-American veterans, Obama was only half Negro, a African-American. Get it? Ha ha. I like you people. In Trump's whitewashed, deucified universe, Fox News memes are hilarious and completely appropriate for all audiences. Yet another example of the fact that Trump and millions of other aging baby boomer men have been entirely brainwashed by what David Frum calls the conservative entertainment complex not realizing that despite Trump's electoral college victory, the rest of the world still exists. Trump's ascendancy hasn't erased all of the rules of society and the need for human civility. Yes, thankfully, in the age of Trump, there are still offensive words and offensive statements. And despite alt-right chants to the contrary, activists continue to rise up with ferocity against racism, misogyny, Trumpism, and all of the terrible things that go along with it, including childish nicknames like Pocahontas. His people don't get it, and Trump himself certainly doesn't either. He also seems to think his Navajo guests were unaware that indigenous tribes lived on the North American continent thousands of years before whites invaded. Once again, Trump treats facts he recently learned as facts nobody else knows about. On top of all that, he implied that these men who he was allegedly honoring should be grateful that he likes them. He talks as if his phony baloney affection has currency somehow, as if Trump isn't completely toxic, destroying everything he touches. In keeping with that trend, an historic event like what was supposed to happen in the Oval the other day has been ruined by Trump's inability to understand the difference between right and wrong, between honoring his guests and insulting them. Heaped on top of centuries of genocide and reneged treaties, Trump added insult to injury. Not only were Trump's remarks insulting and racist, but worse, he didn't seem to understand why, nor do his people. Indeed, 35% of American voters think this is just fine. By the way, it's worth noting that Trump is actively trying to raise the taxes and repeal the health care of his supporters, too. But they don't care as long as Trump continues to protect their guns and their right to exploit their religion as an excuse for hatred and bigotry. Exactly what Barack Obama said nine years ago. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment.
Thanks, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays on the Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me there every Tuesday. And that brings us to Trump's support of Roy Moore, the combative Alabama judge who's the Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate in a race to fill the vacancy left by Jeff Sessions, who quit to become Trump's attorney general. Trump has not officially endorsed Moore, but he may as well have in light of the numerous allegations from women who say Moore molested them or tried to when they were teenagers and he was the local district attorney. Last week on his way to Mar-a-Lago for Thanksgiving, Trump spoke with reporters about that Senate race saying, we don't need a liberal person, a Democrat. The president was saying that an accused child molester would be better than the Democrat who now leads in that heavily Republican district. This week, Trump tweeted, the last thing we need in Alabama and in the U.S. Senate is a Schumer-Pelosi puppet who is weak on crime, weak on the border, bad for our military and our great vets, bad for our Second Amendment, and wants to raise his taxes to the sky, end quote. Trump justified his choice with those comments last week by adding, Roy Moore denies it. The president was saying that he believes Moore and not the nine women who are accusing Moore of being a sexual predator targeting young teens. Perhaps Trump can relate to Moore's situation. At least 16 women have accused Trump of sexual assault and or harassment, and now the lawyers for one of those women have subpoenaed the Trump campaign for all documents relating to her, including all forms of communications with her and about her. Trump's career as a TV reality game show host has come back to haunt him in the person of Summer Zervos, who was once a contestant on The Apprentice. She says Trump assaulted her in 2007, forcing a kiss onto her lips twice during a lunch meeting in his office and another time in Beverly Hills, where she says he kissed her aggressively and touched her breast. Let's go to the tape. The famous Access Hollywood grab em tape in which Trump tells Billy Bush, and I quote, Yeah, that's her with the gold. I better use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. End quote. You may want to hit pause if you feel the need to take a shower. Last fall, when Summer Zervos went public with her claim, Trump denied it, saying, that is not who I am as a person, and it is not how I've conducted my life. Despite the quote, the subpoena from Summer Zervos lawyers was issued by a judge back in March BuzzFeed broke the story, and CNN has now confirmed it. When reporters asked Trump about the subpoenas on Monday, he replied, All I can say is it's totally fake news, just fake. It's made-up stuff, and it's disgraceful. Trump may have forgotten that he did publicly apologize for what he called locker room talk on that tape. But by Tuesday of this week, it was suddenly fake news. Trump now claims it wasn't even him on that recording, that even the tape we've all heard is fake. Access Hollywood's Natalie Morales answered, Let us make this perfectly clear. The tape is very real, end quote. Trump's lawyers have asked that the Summer Zervos case be thrown out or at least stayed until Trump leaves office. But this story may not be containable, considering everything happening around it. It's also worth noting that Trump went straight to Twitter when he heard the news that Matt Lauer had been accused of inappropriate sexual behavior at NBC, Trump tweeted, wow, Matt Lauer was just fired from NBC for inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace. But when will the top executives at NBC and Comcast be fired for putting out so much fake news? Check out Andy Lack's past, end quote. 
Andy Lack is the president of NBC News and the man who fired Lauer after credible evidence Lauer had sexually assaulted a female staffer at the Winter Olympics in Sochi three years ago. And that staffer said she had evidence of Lauer doing this with other staffers. Later in the day, at least two more women came forward, one saying she'd been summoned to Lauer's office for sex. This morning, Lauer issued an apology and said he's working on what he calls his troubling flaws. Former Olympic gymnast team doctor Larry Nasser has now pleaded guilty to 10 counts of first-degree criminal sexual conduct with children under the age of 16. More than 130 female athletes from the U.S. team say Nasser sexually assaulted them, including one who says it happened when she was just 13 years old. Some of the young women went on to win gold medals, including Gabby Douglas, who revealed her victimhood this week after stirring up controversy by saying it's a woman's responsibility to dress modestly to avoid attracting, quote, the wrong crowd. After the outrage that followed those remarks, Ms. Douglas posted on Instagram, regardless of what you wear, abuse under any circumstance is never acceptable. Garrison Keillor mostly retired last year after decades of a theater-of-the-mind show for public radio called Prairie Home Companion but he remained on the payroll at Minnesota Public Radio even after that show ended until yesterday when he was fired following charges of inappropriate behavior. Ever the storyteller, Keeler responded that he had been fired over, quote, a story I think is more interesting and more complicated than the version MPR heard. Later, he explained that he had put his hand on the bare back of a co-worker who needed consoling. He says he apologized for it later, but that she told him to forget it, that they were friends. And Keeler says they remained friends until he heard from her lawyer this week. Keeler says at 75 years old, he sees no sense in fighting his dismissal or any of this. As they once said in the radio business, stay tuned. The nation's biggest massage therapy chain was also shaken this past week by sexual assault charges. At least 200 women claimed they were touched or groped inappropriately during their treatments at Massage Envy. When BuzzFeed broke this story, it noted the company does not require its franchisees to report every complaint to police and that it offers no corporate guidance in handling such complaints. Since the story broke, Massage Envy said even a single incident is too many, but noted that it has performed more than 125 million massages over the last 15 years. In recent weeks, it's become clear to nearly everyone that sexual abuse from harassment to assault is destructive and widespread in journalism, entertainment, sports, and politics, as it probably is in many walks of American life. What mystifies many are the firings and resignations in journalism and show business while politicians, starting with Donald Trump, remain on the job. In Alabama, Roy Moore is still a candidate for the U.S. Senate, still backed by Trump. This week, Moore blamed gays and socialists for the allegations that he had molested teenaged girls. And extreme right activist Steve Bannon says he'll campaign for Moore there next week. The Alabama Senate election goes down December 12th, a week from this coming Tuesday. In Washington, lawmakers are under increasing pressure to stop the secrecy surrounding such allegations against lawmakers and to stop the secrecy about the settlements that are paid to make those allegations go away, payments made ostensibly with taxpayers' money. Under a law passed in 1995, sexual abuse complaints are handled confidentially, and taxpayers never know whom they've bailed out with settlement money, how much money, or how many times. 
as the lawmakers went back to work on Monday with accusations against veteran Michigan Congressman John Conyers and Minnesota Senator Al Franken. Lawmakers in both parties want to change that 1995 law to at least make the settlement part more transparent. Under increasing pressure, House lawmakers voted last night to require all lawmakers and their aides to take anti-harassment training courses every year. Congressman John Conyers admits he paid $27,000, apparently out of his own pocket, to one of the women accusing him of misconduct. Veteran political reporter Cokie Roberts says it was common knowledge among women in the Capitol that an elevator ride with Conyers should be avoided. Conyers, who's also said to be suffering now from diminished mental health, is under increasing pressure to resign from Congress entirely. He had already resigned his position as the ranking Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee, the very committee that would ostensibly begin impeachment hearings for Donald Trump. And in a private meeting among members of the Black Congressional Caucus that Conyers helped create, they were talking about how to get Conyers to quit. Conyers still says he has no plans to resign. And while Democrats in the House think their long-term friend and civil rights hero should resign, Democrats in the Senate appear ready to fight for Al Franken. Franken returned to work this week describing his mood as embarrassed and ashamed. But in lengthy interviews with reporters in Minneapolis, Franken said he honestly does not remember touching anyone inappropriately. Despite one woman's claim, he put his hand squarely on her buttocks while the two of them posed for a photo being taken by her husband. Franken's original accuser, a right-wing radio personality, made claims that have since been called into question about incidents she says occurred before Franken was a senator. Even more noteworthy, Trump's former campaign advisor Roger Stone had tweeted just hours before the first revelation, it's Al Franken's time in the barrel. Franken next, wrote Stone, in a long list of Democrats to be accused of grabby behavior. How did he know? Stone had also tweeted about stolen Democratic emails just hours before they were released. How did he know? Stone will only say he got them from a go-between, but wouldn't say who. We may now know. A New York radio comedian and political activist has now been identified as the intermediary between Roger Stone and WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. This radio comedian, Randy Credico, has now been subpoenaed to testify for the House Intelligence Committee, their Russia investigation on December 15th. How Roger Stone got the tip on Al Franken still isn't clear. In recent years, Al Franken's been a champion of women's rights. His workplace behavior has been defended by his former co-workers at Saturday Night Live, including founding members Lorraine Newman and Jane Curtin. It was Franken himself who called for an ethics investigation and promised to fully cooperate with that investigation. He says he feels badly for making anyone uncomfortable and that he wants to regain the trust and make it up to the Minnesotans he represents in Washington, which is, he says, the reason he went back to work. And Franken's fellow Democrats want to keep the man who's become a major voice in the Senate, especially about Jeff Sessions' possible involvement in the Trump-Russia scandal. A tale of two bosses. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times at the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, even after the election of Donald Trump. The CFPB has been an independent government agency that's recovered over $12 billion on behalf of Americans who were cheated by banks and other creditors. It's also reduced mortgages for nearly 30 million people. The CFPB did all that inside just six years of its existence. 
and the law that created this independent agency protected it from politics with a provision about the transition of power within the agency. So even when its first and only director announced his resignation, the people inside the CFPB still felt protected from politics because the law that created their jobs stipulated that in the absence of a director, the deputy director would step up to acting director and remain as such until the Senate could confirm a presidential nominee. That means Trump cannot simply appoint a new director for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. What he can do under another law, called the Vacancies Act, is name a new acting director, if it's someone who's already been confirmed for his cabinet. So that's what Trump has done. He's moved his budget director, Mick Mulvaney, into that role. Mulvaney has no experience in consumer protection. Funny story. Both Trump and Mulvaney have called the Consumer Protection Bureau broken and dysfunctional and unfair to business. Trump has called it a total disaster. By business, they mean banks and Wall Street, whose greed tanked the economy 10 years ago, plunging the nation into the Great Recession. Banks and Wall Street are the very reason the CFPB exists today, the very reason the agency was created by the Obama administration. And then there's that. The agency was created in the Obama administration, and Trump's made it clear his mission is to reverse nearly everything Obama did as president. The CFPB stands in the way of Trump's plans to deregulate business in a world in which he sees Wall Street as the victim. What better choice to run it, then, than someone who hates the Bureau as much as Trump does? Six years ago, then-Congressman Mulvaney introduced a bill to eliminate the agency he now heads. Among Mulvaney's first acts on Monday, a freeze on hiring and a freeze on new regulations. Just one problem with the Mulvaney move, it initially resulted in two acting directors. On his way out the door, the founding director, Richard Cordray, promoted Chief of Staff Leandra English to deputy director, making her the legal heir to acting director. And her first act was to file a lawsuit against the Trump administration challenging the appointment of Mick Mulvaney. Mulvaney's first act was to instruct the staff at CFPB to ignore any instructions from Leandra English. It was then up to a court to figure out which law supersedes the other and therefore which acting director would run the Consumer Bureau until a new director could be nominated and confirmed. To the surprise of many, the court ruled in favor of Trump Mulvaney stays, and the orders he's given since his arrival at the Consumer Bureau remain in effect. That clears the way for the deregulation that Trump and the Republicans intend to achieve at the expense of the protection of American consumers. Leandra's English's lawyer says there are other courts and that this isn't over yet. Except for that Consumer Bureau ruling, the court's so soundly criticized by Donald Trump, have been busy ruling against him in the past couple of weeks. It began November 15th when the Pentagon paid for a sex reassignment surgery for one of its active duty soldiers because doctors said it was medically necessary. The surgery was performed at a civilian hospital in Pennsylvania because military hospitals don't have this kind of expertise. And it all happened less than three months after Trump signed an order banning transgenders from joining the military and cutting off the money for transition surgeries. In October, a judge had already blocked part of Trump's order, the part about transgender enlistments, but not the part about paying for transitions. And just a month later, the Pentagon paid for another transition. 
Now, a second federal judge has blocked Trump's transgender ban, this time including the part about not paying for surgeries. In other words, everything about Trump's order has now been put on hold until this, too, can be hammered out in the courts. In this inning, however, it's transgenders one, Trump zero. As for the Trump sessions crackdown on sanctuary cities, yeah, it's not going so well either. A federal judge has ruled the government cannot withhold money from a city just because the feds say it's a sanctuary for undocumented immigrants. Philadelphia sued Trump Attorney General Jeff Sessions over these threats to cut off federal grants. The city, which rejects the sanctuary label, argued that withholding those funds would cause irreparable damage since that money is used by first responders to save lives during an epidemic of opioid overdoses. The judge agreed and ruled that the city of brotherly love was obeying federal laws. The Trump administration's Justice Department argued that Philly's softer stand on undocumented people was the reason for its high murder rate. Philadelphia's police commissioner testified that most of the lawbreakers are natural-born Philadelphians. The judge ruled the Trump administration failed to show a link between the city's immigrant policies and its crime rate. And on Thanksgiving Eve, another federal judge said no to the Trump administration in its request to throw out a lawsuit against Trump's order to finish the Keystone Pipeline. The lawsuit was filed in March by Environment and Native American groups, naming as defendants both the Trump administration and the company building the pipeline, TransCanada. The ruling came less than a week after the Keystone Pipeline sprang a leak in South Dakota, spilling 210,000 gallons of oil tar sands. A federal judge has ruled that a Texas abortion law is unconstitutional. The law required women to find a doctor willing to stop the heart of the fetus before performing the most common type of second trimester abortion. That method of abortion, known as dilation and evacuation, is the safest method when it comes to the health of the mother. The Republicans who control Texas argue that method is barbaric and say they will take their fight all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Trump administration also has a new scandal on its hands this week regarding its response to the ongoing crisis for Americans in Puerto Rico. FEMA awarded a contract worth over $30 million to provide plastic tarps for the tens of thousands of homes with damaged or missing roofs. The Florida company that won the contract had just been created and had never delivered any tarps to anyone ever. Four weeks went by between the awarding of the contract and the termination of that contract. During those four weeks, for a month, tens of millions of dollars in disaster relief money wasn't going to Puerto Rico. It was tied up. It wasn't going to Puerto Rico where thousands of people remain homeless without a roof or even a tarp over their heads. The trumpet of the elephant, the supermoon, and the penis in the sky in the third and final segment up next. It truly is just music to your ears when you pop in a new comfortable pair of earbuds from tweakedaudio.com, especially the Hegon Sport earbuds with silicone caps to help them stay in place. They're water-resistant with a tangle-free cord and a travel pouch. Like other Tweaked Audio products, the Hegon Sport Buds include an inline mic, a gold-plated plug, and, of course, extra gels. The Hegons are orange and gray, but Tweaked Audio's other earbuds come in a range of colors and materials, including wood. You can even get buds in sets of two or three, making them perfect for holiday gift giving. And Tweaked Audio earbuds just sound better. 
You certainly can't beat the prices for this level of quality guaranteed. And the shipping's free anywhere on the planet. And because everything sounds better on tweaked audio earbuds, you can get an extra one-third off of their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for shopping this news through tweakedaudio.com, all my other great sponsors, and through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. After a Tarzan yell from animal lovers of all political stripes around the world, the Trump administration backed off its plans to let hunters bring big game trophies back from Africa. The idea was to reverse an Obama order to ban bringing elephant tusks, heads, and other so-called trophies back to the U.S. since the African elephant is an endangered species. The Trump camp also thought it would be good for hunters to drop that annoying ban. But after a fierce public outcry, the ban is back in place. Earlier this year, the Trump administration removed grizzly bears from the endangered list, declaring their numbers plentiful again. The North American brown bear remains on the endangered list and is therefore still a protected species. A United Nations report says climate change is destroying the Earth's natural wonders, including the Florida Everglades, Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, and Australia's Great Barrier Reef. Warming temperatures threaten Mount Kilimanjaro and the Swiss Alps as well. Rising seas are threatening species only found in the Galapagos Islands. 25 years ago, 1,700 scientists signed a letter warning, quote, human beings and the natural world are on a collision course. That was 25 years ago. That letter has now been updated, and a quarter century later, it is now signed by 16,000 scientists from 184 countries. But it still includes the line about the collision course. A lot hasn't changed over those 25 years. Then and now, concern about air and water pollution, vanishing fishes, vanishing forests, less healthy soil, and a warmer planet. None of the original concerns have gone away, with many aspects of our environment having gotten worse. The only bright spot is we have managed to shrink the ozone layer, proving that humans can reverse course if they take decisive action. But humanity has failed to make sufficient progress, says the report now, and such progress is necessary, say the world scientists, if we hope to delay or prevent an ecological catastrophe. They recommend more nature preserves, investment in alternative energy sources, cutting food waste, and creating financial incentives to reduce the mining of resources. Speaking of alternative energy sources, electric car company Tesla is out with a new Roadster that does 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds and a semi-truck from Tesla that goes from 0 to 60 in 5 seconds, about the same as the average sedan. The car goes on sale in 2020, and all you need is that $50,000 down payment. The car will cost 200000 for now, however, we can hope to take in this weekend's supermoon. The full moon for December arrives on Sunday, and that night it will appear 7% bigger than usual and 16% brighter. That's because the moon will be at its closest point to Earth for the year, a mere 222,443 miles away. Do not necessarily give a dog a bone. The FDA this week warned dog owners not to buy commercial dog bones because there have been nearly 100 reports of deaths and illnesses 
from the processed packaged dog treats, sometimes labeled as being bones from ham, pork, rib, and smoky knuckle. Dogs have been choking on these man-made bones, and they've suffered from internal bleeding as the shards cut their way through their digestive systems. In addition to the soaring stock market, economic growth is now faster than anyone expected. The growth rate is now 3.3%, which economists describe as solid growth. It is the fastest growth we've seen in three years, mostly fueled by companies buying new equipment with wholesalers and retailers once again fattening their inventories. But that number is also misleading, since nearly a fourth of that growth includes goods yet to be sold. Factoring in that cuts the growth rate to 2.5%, which economists say is a more realistic figure. But Black Friday and Cyber Monday certainly make the economy appear healthy. Many Americans started cyber shopping on Black Friday, making nearly $6 billion in online purchases on that day alone. By Cyber Monday, they spent another $7 billion, up 17% from last year. Sales were up only about 1% in the brick-and-mortar stores on Friday, but records were set there, too. And that's a better result than was expected, and certainly better than another decline at the hands of online shopping. It was also a record-setting Black Friday for gun sales. The FBI got more than 203,000 requests for background checks that day. Black Friday, an all-time record, breaking the record set in 2016 and before that in 2015. Because guns. A live Christmas tree is costing more this year. Demand is up and supply is down. There is, in fact, a bit of a Christmas tree shortage it takes nearly 10 years to grow a 7-foot Christmas tree, and growers cut back on their planting during the recession 10 years ago. Now, 10 years later, with more jobs and higher wages, Americans are spending again and ready for a live tree if they can find one that they can afford. Tree prices are up this year by 10%, and the shortage is expected to last as long as the recession did. Plentiful trees won't return until 2025. Many Americans planning to take plane trips for the holidays may have to choose trains or automobiles instead. A computer foul-up at American Airlines has given too many pilots time off during the holidays. The pilots' unions say this could force the cancellation of 15,000 flights in the last two weeks of December. American says it has plenty of backup pilots and is offering time and a half to the pilots on its payroll who come back to work. Coco was the top movie over the Thanksgiving weekend with a $49 million take. Justice League was second with $41 million, and Wonder was third with $22 million. For theaters near you, previews, showtimes, and tickets, please click on the Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. And since we often need to be reminded to embrace life every day, former teen idol David Cassidy left us with these words. According to his daughter Katie, the singer's last words before dying were, so much wasted time. Cassidy died last week at the age of 67. The dementia that forced him to retire earlier this year had since shut down his organs and his family took him off life support. In addition to a solo musical career, Cassidy starred in the early 70s sitcom The Partridge Family alongside his real-life stepmom, singer and actress Shirley Jones. But his greatest contribution might have been his last words. So much wasted time. Nationwide is not always on your side. 
On October 5th of this year, a nationwide insurance agent visited the home of a retired couple in Buffalo Township, Pennsylvania. He was supposedly there to assess a property damage claim. Instead, this nationwide insurance rep took photos of some plants in the couple's backyard and sent the photos to police. Officers arrived and pulled 66-year-old Audrey Kramer out of her house while she was dressed in nothing but her underwear. She asked the officers if she could put on some pants. He told me no, she says, and I had to stand out on the porch. Mr. Kramer, Ed, had been brought outside as well, and he and the missus were handcuffed and kept in a squad car for four hours. As for the plants, they were hibiscus, blooming hibiscus, that were photographed in a way that intentionally cropped out the flowers. It isn't clear why the nationwide agent would do that and call the police. It isn't clear why the Buffalo Township Police responded so aggressively. But it'll likely all come out in court, since Ed and Audrey Kramer are now suing nationwide, the local police department, and the three officers who dragged them out of their homes. An eight-year-old can be quite belligerent. Police in Anderson, Indiana, found out how belligerent. This eight-year-old girl had been out shopping with her mother when, for whatever reason, she stole her mother's car and took off. Police spotted the girl doing 40 on a state highway, but she refused to stop, leading the officers on a county-wide chase. She still refused to stop until police boxed her in. And although her driving was pretty good for an eight-year-old, her parking, not so much. She hit a cop car in the process. The girl still, however, refused to surrender. Police had to kick in one of the car's windows to get her out. At last check, police hadn't decided whether to file charges against the girl or her mother. Some getaways have a happier ending. In Oak Creek, Wisconsin, a dog escaped from the Brentwood Animal Hospital after a break-in at that clinic. The vet notified police of the break-in and the missing dog, a boxer named Bear. Bear's owner, a paying customer of the hospital's, would not be pleased to hear that Bear had vanished. She had entrusted the clinic to babysit the boxer until she got back from vacation. But she already knew that Bear was quite an escape artist. The pet hospital staff knew it too, which is why they outfitted his kennel with extra zip ties to keep it closed. Somehow, Bear managed to get out anyway. But all's well that ends well. When the owner returned from her vacation later that same day, there was Bear sitting on her patio waiting to be let in. He had returned home. Security video shows he got there about two hours before she did. Bear was safe and sound, and the owner didn't even have to drive to the animal hospital to pick him up. And finally, in the skies over Omak, Washington earlier this month, people of all ages could see what very clearly was a drawing of a penis with testicles. An aircraft of some kind had left behind a pattern of contrails that crudely depicted an arguably crude image. People complained. Women had seen it. Children had seen it. The local Navy base has since confirmed it was one of their aircraft. The FAA has washed its hands of the complaint, saying safety wasn't jeopardized and that policing morality is not its specialty. The Navy says it is holding the crew accountable for an exercise it says, quote, has zero training value. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news. 
news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.